morning instead of... Well, it is a, uh, as always, it is a delight to be here with you. Um, Mike and Barbara, I'm sorry that the occasion brings me here, but um, it is a delight to be able to share God's Word with you, uh, to see familiar faces and also some new faces. It has been... Uh, over two and a half years since I've been here, and I'm glad I haven't been here for two and a half years, because when I was here, you didn't have a pastor, and so the fact that I haven't been here is a good thing, and uh, so I'm delighted to be with you this morning to share God's Word. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Genesis. I'm going to be reading just the beginning of the story and the end of the story. Often if you read the beginning and the end, you get the big picture. So I'm going to be reading from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And then I will be reading also from Genesis chapter 2. Let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. May God bless the reading and preaching of his word to each of our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has given us his word and who has given us his spirit. Uh, Open the eyes of our hearts that we might see wonderful things in your word and that our hearts might become more like your heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple of uh, introductory questions, since I am a teacher after all. Um, Is it fair to say that the stock market has been a bit chaotic in recent months? Any takers on that? Uh, remember when the stock market like dropped below 10,000 and then it started to go back up and there's hope and then it dropped below 9,000 and then it started back up and then it dropped below 8,000 and uh, just last week it was down near 7 and it started to go back up and then it's very close to 7 as of Friday afternoon. I'd say it's a bit chaotic. Um, fair to say that our whole economy and the world economy is a bit in a state of chaos these days. Uh, Is it fair to say that this has some impact on you? I was talking to my brother the other day. Uh, He lives up in Pennsylvania. We try to chat a couple of times a week. And um, he, he was he's a bit older than I am. And he was planning on retiring in the not too distant future. And retirement is a little further away now than it was in his plans uh, even a year ago. Uh, How many people are saying, I have to work a few more years, at least if I want to retire the way I had been planning on retiring? Uh, 
chaos? Is there hope that this, that the chaos that we're in is going to somehow be transformed into order, a well-ordered world where we can live out the abundant life that God originally created us for and has redeemed us for. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life in all of its, in all of its abundance. Uh, Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that is a picture of this well-ordered world where people can not only survive, but they can thrive. The very first thing God does in the Bible is give us this picture. It's a picture of what the human heart longs for. A well-ordered world where we can not only survive, but where we can thrive. Now, um, heavens and earth in this opening verse, you can't understand all the uses of heaven and all the uses of earth and come up with what heavens and earth are. It's a fixed phrase. If you got up and op- opened your dictionary and uh, you, you looked up all the, wor- all the definitions of ground and then you looked up all the definitions of hog, would you, ha- uh, uh, would you have any idea what a groundhog was? No. Uh, so too, if you, if you know what heaven means and you know what earth means, you don't know what the heavens and the earth are. The heavens and the earth are used in the Old Testament in particular to paint a picture of a well-ordered world, uh, a place for everything and everything in its place. I grew up as a son of a cabinet maker, and I remember in junior high wood shop, big motto on the wall, a place for everything and everything in its place. That's the heavens and the earth. When we look at that picture and we look at the world that we live in, there's somewhat of a disconnect, isn't there? Is there hope? Is there hope that the chaos that we see around us can be transformed into cosmic order where you can not only survive, but that you can thrive? That's the question that we want to answer this morning. And, And Genesis 1 gives us the answer to that question in a variety of ways, but we're going to focus on verse 2, which gives us the answer this way. There is hope in the wind. There is hope in the wind. Now, I want to really ask three questions and look at how this text answers that. You with me? How many questions? Not, not, not. Three questions. So we're going to look at three questions and see how this text answers those questions for us. First question. What was it like in the beginning when God started His creative work? What was it like in the beginning when God started His creative work? And we're going to find the answer to that question in the first half of verse 2. Verse 2 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. So, what was it like when God began His creative work? We can say two things. It was formless and empty. I'm reading this morning from the ESV. The ESV says in traditional language it was without form 
and void. All major translations, they use different words, but they all say the same thing, that in the beginning, everything was unformed and unfilled. There was not a place for everything, and nothing was in its place. That's where we are in the beginning. And this uh, this idea of formless and void, unformed and unfilled, is the opposite of the heavens and the earth. It's the opposite of cosmic order. It is not a place where people can survive. It is not a place where people can thrive. It's the antithesis of what God intends to bring about in His creative work. Um, Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 23. Jeremiah 4.23 is the only other place in the Bible that uses this Hebrew expression. And it says, I looked on the earth and behold... It was without form and void. And to the heavens, and they had no light. I looked to the mountains, and behold, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and behold, there was no man, and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and behold, the fruitful land was a desert, and all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before His fierce anger. Formless and void is not a place where you can survive. It is not a place where you can thrive. It's the opposite of the heavens and the earth. But that's where we are in the beginning when God starts his creative work, formless and empty. And the other thing that Genesis 1-2 tells us is that everything was dark and wet. It says in Genesis 1-2, Darkness was over the face of the deep. And that's not just any deep. That's ocean deep. That's watery deep. Everything is dark and everything is wet. And again, in the Bible, darkness is often the antithesis of life. Remember the Jeremiah 24? Uh, Jeremiah Jeremiah 4.23, after it said, I looked and I saw and it was formless and void, I said, it says, I looked to the heavens and there was, no, there was no light. In other words, Jeremiah is describing a situation where the well-ordered world that God intended has reverted back to empty, uh, to unformed, to dark instead of light, darkness as the opposite of a place where life can thrive as God intends. Uh, This is why Jesus said, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of, the light of life. Light is associated with life. Darkness associated with death. And this is what it's like in the beginning. It is dark as the antithesis of light. And it's wet Wet as the, the deep, again, the antithesis of order. The sea, well, we're very close, right? Um, I wouldn't mind living this close to the ocean. If I can vacation anywhere, if I have my pick, I head to the beach. Uh, the beach is, to me, the most therapeutic place there is in the world. The sound of the waves, the smell of the salt water, 
I just, I love the beach. We vacation at the beach more than any other place in the world. You have the privilege of living so close to the beach. Beach is a wonderful place. Sea is a wonderful thing. In the Bible, often, however, the sea is used as a symbol of the opposite of God's cosmic order. Psalm 93 says, The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their pounding waves. Uh, the sea is often a place that is a, is a threat. Think of the flood. What happens when the sea comes over the land? Think of hurricanes. Think of tsunamis. Think of heavy rains in Texas. Uh, when water covers the land, you can't survive. You can't thrive. Think of the end of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, when John looks and he says, Behold, I saw and there was no longer any sea. Sea is a symbol of everything that is contrary to God's creative design for human beings in particular. Now, I, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I think when John says about the perfect state in heaven, I looked and I saw and there was no sea. I have a hunch he's not talking literally. I think he's talking symbolically. There's nothing there that I see that is chaotic at all. Everything is formed. Everything is filled. Everything is light. My surfer son certainly would think that if there's no ocean, that's not heaven. That's the other place. Um, but whether he's literal or not, clearly... In the end, he pictures no sea, no chaos, no threat to surviving, no threat to thriving, a place where we're going to live a life that is teeming with abundance, such abundance that your driveways are going to be paved with. There's going to be no mourning, no sickness, no death, no funerals to attend. It's a place of tremendous thriving. It's heaven and earth, the new heavens and the new earth the home of the righteous. But that's not where we are in the beginning. In the beginning, it was without form and void, unformed, unfilled. It was dark. It was a watery mass. It was chaos, the opposite of what God intends. That's where we are in the beginning. That's our first question. Now, second question, what was it like at the end of God's creative work? So we jump to chapter 2 and verse 1. Thus, the heavens and the earth, there's our groundhog. You've got to keep those two things together. Not just talking about the heavens up there, the earth down here, but that fixed phrase, thus, this well-ordered world that God intended, the heavens and the earth, it was finished. And all the host of them and everything that fills it, like the psalmist says in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and all who live in it, the world and all who inhabit it, for He founded it upon the seas and He established it upon the rivers. At the end of God's creative work, what do we see? Well-ordered. And were we to take our time and read through the whole of chapter 1, you would hear the orderliness of the chapter. And God said, 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 and God said. 
And it was so, and it was so, and it was so, and it was so. And there was morning, and there was evening, and there was evening, and there was morning. That all these repetitions, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good, and God saw ultimately that it was very good. It's a well, it's a highly structured, highly ordered chapter. Why did Moses care to put this text in such profound order? Because the message is that's what God's creating. The heavens and the earth. A well-ordered place where people can not only survive, but they can thrive and experience the abundance of God Himself. Let's just look at a couple of details from that middle section. Not a lot, but just a couple. Two things in particular. We started out with unformed and unfilled and wet and dark. So notice what happens over the course of those six days of creation. Uh, First of all, instead of being uh, dark and wet, it becomes light and dry. Genesis 1-3, what's the first thing God said? Let there be light. And as a matter of fact, then there was light. So the first thing God does is He takes care of this darkness problem by creating light. On day one, God creates the light and now the darkness is bounded. Have you ever noticed, however, that God didn't eliminate the darkness? He didn't eliminate it. It's not light 24 hours a day, but He bounded the darkness and in God's own sovereign way, he turned the darkness which is antithetical to life into something which serves his purpose and fosters life. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 104. A beautiful uh, creation hymn of praise to God as the Creator King. And in Psalm 104.19, the psalmist says... He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. Nighttime, darkness is now not a bad thing. It's been bounded by God. It's been controlled by His sovereign purpose. So the wild animals now have an appropriate time to go about their activities and in particular to find the nourishment that they need so they can survive and so they can thrive. And so the darkness, which once was antithetical to God's purpose, has now been taken up into God's purpose. It's been transformed into something which enhances life rather than stands in opposition to life. That's day one. Let's look at another day, day three. On day three, God says, let dry land appear. So now instead of dark and all wet, we have the creation of dry land where human beings in particular can survive and can thrive. And just like on day one, when God didn't eliminate the darkness, but he bounded it, to serve His purpose. On day three, God doesn't eliminate all of the water. He bounds the water. We sang about all of these things in that first hymn. I would think that you were prophetic by choosing that hymn. It was so appropriate. Listen to this fellow. He's got a connection with somebody way up high. 
bounding the, the, uh, the darkness, bounding the sea. Uh, Psalm 104 says this same thing again uh, when we read in verses uh, 24 and following. How manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan with which you formed to play in it. Now that little preposition in is a funny one in Hebrew. It's b. And b. Everybody say b. This is your Hebrew lesson for the day. Everybody say b. B can either mean in or it can also mean with. And I think what this text is saying is that he formed Leviathan not to play in the sea, but so that God could play with Leviathan. So if you love to frolic in the sea, that's a godly thing, because God frolicked in the sea with Leviathan, with this big sea creature. It's a, the sea is now not a place that is antithetical to life, but which enhances life. God bounds the sea. He transforms it into something that is no longer against you, but something that is for you. This is the way of God. So it is now light and dry instead of dark and wet. And it is also formed and filled instead of unformed and unfilled. Just briefly, days one through three, basically are God creating all the spaces. And days four, five, and six are God filling all of the spaces with the stuff. A place for everything, one through three. Everything in its place, Four, five, and six. My shop teacher must have read the Bible at some point. Days one and uh, days one through three, God creates this, the the sphere of day and the sphere of night. Uh, the next day, on day two, He creates the expanse, and um, the expanse means that there's a place for water above the expanse, and there's a place for water below the expanse. And on day three, he creates the dry land and names the seas. And he also creates the vegetation. And with the creation of the vegetation at the end of day three, he's already anticipating four, five, and six because he's already starting to fill the spaces that he has made. On day four, he creates the sun and the moon and the stars to fill this expanse. The text says that they are in the expanse. He creates the fish to fill the waters below the expanse. He creates the birds to fly up against the expanse. He creates on day six the animals to fill the earth and humans in particular who are going to fill the earth, subdue the earth, and enjoy all of the vegetation on the earth. One through three... It's all perfectly formed. Four, five, and six, it's all filled with the potential of being filled even more. This is God's creative work. This is the heavens and the earth. Formed and filled, light and dry, cosmic order where people can survive. No more than that where they can thrive, where they can live an abundant life. You with me? Two questions. What was it like when God began? And what was it like when God ended? Here's our third and final question. What stands in between? What is in the middle of the unformed and unfilled dark and wet as opposed to the formed and filled and light and dry? Because in seeing the answer to that, we find hope. And the answer is, title of the sermon, 
There is hope in the wind. There is hope in the wind. What stands in between? The wind. Stay with me. Let's go back to the text. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, but now the second half, which says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, you see that little word, and. If you take some time this afternoon and read, how many of you use an ESV? We have some ESVs here. If you, if you use the ESV, take some time and read the introduction. It'll say that um, he, a lot of Hebrew sentences are joined by the word and. You, you learned the word b. That was a pretty easy one. Here's another real easy one. V. Everybody say v. That's and. Uh, the problem is it's not only and, it's also but. Uh, same word, and or but. If I were king of translators, I would put a but there. It's, it's conjoining the two ideas, but there's a contrast. We start with formless and void and dark and wet, but there's hope. The Spirit of God is there hovering over the waters. There's our hope. Now, what stands in between? The wind. Now, I haven't read anything about wind in this text, so where am I getting this idea of wind from? Well, an ancient rabbi once said, reading the Bible in translation is like kissing your bride through the veil. You know, how many of you are married? How many of you have been married and remember your wedding day? Uh, what would it have been like to have kissed your bride through the veil? Something's missing, right? Well, what the rabbi was saying is there's often some things that you can see when you lift the veil and you read the text in Greek and in Hebrew. And so just for, we don't always have to do this, but just for a moment, we're going to lift the veil and take a little peek at the Hebrew text underneath our English translation. Now, this is a little bigger word. It actually has two syllables in it. Ruach. Everybody say Ruach. And just watch your neighbor in front of you. Um, that's like Johann Sebastian Bach. That's that last sound. And that's the word that we have. It says the Ruach of God. Uh, now, this word Ruach means different things. It means a wind, like there's a wind blowing out there. I can see it because the leaves are moving. And it also is used for spirit, like in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. On a fundamental level, what this text, I believe, is saying, and I don't think it's hard to demonstrate, is everything was formless and void, darkness over the surface of the deep, but the wind was blowing. The wind was blowing to take care, in particular, of the watery problem. Does that sound strange to you? It probably does. Um, you may never have heard of it before. There's a logical fallacy that's called the appeal to authority. And that is when you're trying to make your case and you make your case by appealing to somebody in authority because he said so, it must be right. That's a logical fallacy. But it is psychologically comforting. My, my colleague, the person who I esteem as the premier evangelical Old Testament scholar in the world, Dr. Bruce Waltke, would also translate it the word, word, this word with wind. That doesn't mean it's right, but it is psychologically comforting to know that he's in my camp. Yes? Now, why do I think that? Let's think about a couple of other watery stories just for a moment. 
very soon in Genesis, things are going to get uncreated. Everything's going to get turned on its head, right? What's that story? No, keep going. The flood. Uh, at the time of the flood, water is going to once again cover everything. Who could th- survive there? Who could thrive there? Uh, nobody can. So when the, wor- when the earth is flooded, listen to what we read in Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. But, there's our but, water, water everywhere. No hope, but. But what? But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark and God made a God made a wind blow over the earth and the wind removes the water it's a wind from God that solves the water problem let's think a little bit later the book of exodus was there a water problem somewhere in the book of exodus what was it the red sea, the red sea. here are god's people in the land of egypt Bondage, slavery. Over here is what they long for and hope for. Heaven and earth, the promised land. And in between, there's this big watery barrier. Uh, Very interesting. Let's look at Exodus chapter 15. In Exodus chapter 15 and verse 8, it says, At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. At the blast of your nostrils. Now, if we lift the veil and look under this English to the Hebrew text, literally it says, with the wind, same word as in Genesis, with the wind of your nose. With the wind of your nose, the waters dry up. With the wind from your nose, the waters dry up. What solved the problem of the watery mess at the time of the flood? A wind. What solves the mess at the time of the crossing of the Red Sea? A wind. And in the Red Sea in particular, it's called a wind of God's nose. You with me? So, when this Genesis text is telling, in a sense, the same kind of story, there's a watery mess, but there's hope. Why? Because there's the Ruach there. It's a wind. Now, stay with me for a minute, because you might be a little bit nervous here. You might be thinking... Oh, he's just taking God completely out of the picture. It wasn't God's spirit. It was a, just a good old wind that took care of the problem. Yes? No. Why not? Notice what it says. It's a wind of the text. It's a wind of God. In the sense of it's a wind from God. Just like these other texts say it's a wind of God's nose. This says it's a wind of God. This is a beautiful image. It's a powerful, concrete picture of the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit is not involved here. It's a wind that God uses, but that wind is an image of the presence of God, and that's why there is hope. There is hope because there is a wind blowing. Winds of change. We speak of this way, don't we? Winds of change are blowing. There's hope. There's a wind from God. And there's hope. That wind is what transforms the formless and the void and the wet and the dark into formed and filled and light and dry. It's what transforms chaos into cosmos. It's a wind from God. It's the powerful work of the Spirit of God to bring about transformation.
We could look at a number of texts, but time won't permit us. Let me bring this to conclusion by just saying that if we look at the way Psalm 18, Psalm 74, use the story of God's creating of the heavens and the earth, they basically say, God, would you do for us in our day what you did back then? In other words, Genesis 1 is about what God did in the beginning. And it's about something else. Genesis 1 is not only about what God did. Genesis 1 is about what God can do. The Exodus is about what God did in delivering Israel from bondage in Egypt. And it's a story about what God can do in your own hearts and in your own lives. Genesis 1, it's about God transforming the unformed and the unfilled and the dark and the wet and turning it into heaven and earth, formed and filled and light and dry. How many of you know some people in your sphere, in your circle, how many of you know some people who could use some heaven and earth right now? How many of you know some people who have something of that unformed and unfilled in their lives? Something of that dark and that wet. And they need this wind from God to blow into their lives and transform that into filled and formed and light and dry. Do you know any people like that? You know what? The person sitting beside you may be that person. You know what? the person in your chair may be that person. I just want to say one thing to all of you this morning. There is hope. Because a wind from God is blowing. You may not want to put your hope in our government or in world politics uh, or in business deciders or in the soon turnaround in the stock market. But you can put your hope in God. You can see what He did, and you can rest assured that that's what He still does today. There is hope that your formlessness can become well-formed. There is hope that your emptiness can be filled. There is hope that your darkness can become light. There is hope that your wet can be dry. Because the God who said, let there be light, has caused the light of His gospel to shine into our hearts in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is hope in the wind. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And thank you that you have given us the whole of the Old Testament scriptures so that through the encouragement uh, and the endurance of these scriptures, we might have hope. And now would you fill us with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit that we might overflow with hope and that we might be channels of that hope in the hearts and lives of others this week. We pray this all in Jesus' name and for your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
stand together and sing.